Thanks for tuning in to our Mops Confessions. And today on the hot seat, we have Chris Rodriguez, a good friend and longtime um, startup uh, hero, I'll say. Um, I'm really excited to have um, Chris on the show today. He's someone that I, I respect a ton on the on the Mops side. And I will admit that I, I have been pinging him on different Slack channels when I have uh, Marketo questions or like SDR management questions, like someone with a lot of um, knowledge and a pretty... Um, wide breadth of understanding of what um, MOPS is and can be in different organizations based on how much um, you're willing to give them. So really, really excited to have um, Chris on the show today. Um, Chris, thanks a ton for for joining us and, um, you know, sharing a little bit of uh, wisdom with the, the crew here. Yeah, for sure. Really happy to be, uh, be on this, uh, on the podcast. Like that's, um, I've been really following, like really catching up on a lot of podcasts and I've been I've been uh, of uh, Moss Confessions and um, really value uh, all the stuff that you guys have been doing. It's been really awesome, especially hearing um, other viewpoints, because I feel like, you know, uh, in Moss, you usually sit, you're like the one man band in an organization. So you don't really get a lot of uh, feedback from uh, other Moss professionals. And uh, this has like been uh, an amazing resource. So thank you for that. And also um, I'm consulting uh and i'm working with previous uh uh previous co-workers other um and other leaders that i've worked for in the past awesome that's uh super exciting and i think that's uh that'll be a good opportunity to talk about kind of the that paradigm shift of going from like in-house to actual uh to consulting and how um that potentially changes a lot of things um but yeah <clears throat> so i think today um, one of the topics that I was really interested in, in talking about is there, there's something that you've witnessed along your career, which is like, you call it paradigm shifts. And it's really this idea that the MOPS landscape is constantly changing. The constraints um, on, on the MOPS world are constantly changing. And I think you've been fortunate enough to, to work at a set of, of companies that had very different go-to-markets, very different um, approaches to their their motions. And I think that has given you like a pretty wide understanding of, of what's possible. And so uh, what I was hoping to do today is like go through um, a few of these um, experiences that you've had and talk a little bit about what were some of the changes that you, um, you lived through and what was kind of some of the learnings that you had and things that uh, could be helpful for other MOPS professionals that are uh, listening to us today. And yeah. so... If we um, we kick things off, so um, when we met, actually, um, you were head of MOPS at a company called Mattermark. Um, and one of the big changes that happened there was uh, during your tenure at Mattermark, there was a shift in go-to-market of going from selling to an audience of VCs where Mattermark provided enrichment in terms of like what has been the growth trajectory of the company from a size perspective, like a predicted ARR perspective, and then serving that to VCs to help um, analysts figure out which were the hot deals to go after. And then there was a bit of a, a shift to try and figure out how could we sell this to um, sales professionals and potentially like MOPS professionals like yourself, almost as a competitor um, to Clearbit. So that was probably like a, a massive change within the organization to go from selling to one category of users all the way to a completely different category. Um, and And I believe at the time you were also... Um, in charge of the um, the team actually doing that sell that transactional sell right the the SDR team that was like trying to book meetings and um, get these these transactions done. So can you tell us a little bit about 
you know, what that change implied from a mobs perspective, from, you know, go to market perspective and how um, you were able to, um, you know, push the team through that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, two major changes happened, right? So uh, the one that you just described, which was, uh, you know, a change in market or at least an, an expansion of market. And um, really the idea behind that was, um, you know, this was, uh, you know, we had clear uh, product market fit when it came to VCs. Uh, VCs really wanted to see um, high growth companies uh, that were doing really well. And um, we had a few uh, data points um, and, and additional metrics that were generated uh, and consolidated by like an amazing data science team. And um, they provided um, really the level of insight that VCs um, wanted. And um, we were starting to see that uh, sales and marketing professionals were also very interested in this as well. So uh, we opened up the doors uh, to include uh, the sales and marketing teams. Um, with that came a change in how how we did, uh, like how our revenue model really changed. Uh, initially, it was you know, hey, sign up, and when you sign up, you have to fill on your fill in your credit card information. Uh, probably not a huge change for our huge uh, hurdle for a VC. Um, however, when someone is, let's say, you know, uh, mid funnel in, in a marketing team, but they want to have access to company data um, or a sales team, then, you know, having to go through the procurement process is probably that like that much more difficult. So uh, we removed the pricing and then that opened up the door for more uh, sales development activity. And, um, you know, we hired a bunch of SDRs, um, a bunch of um, AEs um, in, in response to that. So um, that means that that once somebody was in the platform um, during the trial uh, trial period, that's when the, the timer started. And, um, you know, the SDR team and the AE team were uh, busy trying to uh, book meetings and, uh, and close those deals. And it was a fairly transactional, uh, you know, uh, platform and by way of like, if you're looking at um, other SaaS platforms that which would have cost it, you know, let's say, um, upwards of 70 to 80k, we're, we're closer to, I believe, uh, anywhere between five to 25 at the time. Um, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, it was a few years ago, but, um, uh, but it was, um, it was an easier sell. Uh, and like the the sell cycle wasn't that long. Um, so yeah, that was like a huge shift. Um, when it came to the MOPS perspective, um, I would say that um, really uh, architecting the, uh, the the handoff and understanding how um, how someone inside of a product um, was experiencing uh, the value of the product, uh, along with the interactions with um, with the SDR, were um, pretty like were a pretty big deal and um, that came along with a, uh, a a chat bot implementation right so we had to find a way to like to uh, to track activities and um, also support uh, new users because um, it was a little less uh, geared towards um, the the sales and marketing world. So there needed to be a little bit more handholding when it came to understanding like what the different data points were or how to like query the uh, the platform in order to produce the right um, right level of uh, detail and segmentation. 
And um, on top of that, there was a demand gen uh, challenge, right? So um, since we weren't capturing, uh, you know, credit card information right up front, that means that, you know, the sale was a, that much harder, um, which mean that volume had to be that much greater. And um, I was uh, working alongside of uh, uh, social media and demand gen. Um, and um, we were trying everything under the sun. Uh, and we had this huge goal this one quarter. And um, after, you know, iterating on a bunch of uh, different types of, um, of demand gen strategies, we found out that um, people really liked uh, to be served up segmentation. And we, we called it listicles, which is essentially we did the queries for them. We were like, all right, you know, if I were, you know, this type of company in this region, I would probably want to look at, you know, um, this set of criteria. And then we would post them on LinkedIn. And then we would get a huge influx of people that that were downloading, let's say, a gated Google, uh, Google Drive spreadsheet. Um, and from that point on, they, um, you know, they were met with some, uh, you know, some marketing design and uh, um, were introduced into the trial of being able to create their own queries. And we also gave them like kind of a script of like, hey, this is how you want to go about it. And we were off to the races. And um, I think we were like at, you know, we we found this uh, this growth hack like mid mid quarter and we weren't going to hit it at all. We were like, let's say at 20 percent of the quarterly goal. By the end of the quarter, we were like 99 percent to the point where the CEO was also promoting certain listicles at the, at the very last day, the very last hour. And I think we were off by like two or three. Uh, two or three leads at the time. Um, and we just continued to, to work on that and continue to iterate on that and uh, kept, the, uh, kept the pipeline um, as full as possible. Yeah, I think it's a, <clears throat> it's a really interesting story because it, it combines, there's a lot of companies out there that are trying to figure out, you know, they, they sell SaaS, so they have a product and they're trying to figure out how can I use the product as a lead magnet and how can I open up access to the product? And and oftentimes it's hard to realize how much it takes to, to do that successfully. And I think one part that was really interesting about Mattermark is that it wasn't just a product initiative. Um, so I think like having you like on the on the mob side understand, okay, like how are DSDRs? Like what are the objections they're running into? What are we seeing customers struggle with, which is like initial like how them getting first value, right? And like creating those listicles to help them get to that first value. It's almost like go to market prototyping what is going to be the the feature that we want to push into product to help customers get value. And I think like that's um, something that a, a lot of companies should be thinking about when they're trying to do any kind of like to start a PLG initiative <clears throat> of really understanding it is, you know, the idea of having the product as a support for a go to market function, not the go to market function trying to be um, a support for the product. So I think that that is something that um, a, a lot of companies struggle with. And from a, I guess, from a tech stack perspective, um, one of the big changes, of course, is going from a more um, like pre-product sales, which can live in, and I believe it was HubSpot at the time that, that you folks were using. Um, so in, in HubSpot, where you track all the inbound activity to now having 
you know, to use product data to figure out who's using the product, who's getting value. Um, how, yeah, how did you instrument that? Like what, what tool were you using and how did you find a way to um, potentially like surface people to, um, you know, to, to reps? I mean, you mentioned like the, the chat, like was that a way to essentially like give them access to some extent to product data? Like what were some of the yeah. iterations that happened there? Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. So, um, you know, and I'll, two things happened um, one after the other. And I, I feel like um, I can't remember whether or not we like we ended up going the route uh, of this other uh, other product. But I remember like a lot of talks about it because of the feedback that you're referring to, which is, um, you know, the SDR team engaging with the product and then giving that feedback to the product team. So um, we used uh, Intercom at the time, right? So uh, Drift and Intercom were both kind of like just starting. Uh, this is pre-conversational uh, marketing, right? Um, or, you know, before the the, um, the category was was coined. And um, uh, whatchamacallit, um, we, uh, by way of Intercom, we were able to ingest product level data, all the instrumentation that was done on the product. So then from there, we were able to look at um, uh, our use our set of users and figure out which ones were more active, um, you know, and then, um, you know, fig like prioritize at that point. And then um, I found a way to feed in Salesforce data into uh, into uh, intercom. And it wasn't like there was no uh, integration at, the, at time. the time. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I use Zapier in order to like feed data through, uh, you know, basically, I'm just, you know, circumventing it in a sense or devops so i'm like using zapier to feed data through from salesforce into intercom and 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 uh and vice versa um in order to provide uh firmographic and demographic information uh, that we didn't have um on the onset of uh of a trial starting uh so from there you know the sdr team was able to then engage and um you know let's say uh, uh use the the, the battle decks and the product marketing uh, information that they had um, in order to, um, you know, uh, facilitate um, a meeting that was generated so they can, you know, so their the organization can purchase, you know, um, a year long. Um, or I think it was like it was MRR. So it was, you know, basically just, you know, have full access to the uh, to the platform and create as many, you know, lists as as, um, as they needed at the time. So um, that's like how it all started. It was just like, let's get all this stuff and mush it together one place so it can and then find a way to then serve that to the SDR team, um, which forced the SDR team to become product experts. Um, and that was an interesting uh, dynamic where um, the SDR team uh, and the, um, the demand gen team, uh, along with myself, worked hand in hand all together. Um, and at the time, because of the way that things were architected, I ended up oh, like, you know, uh, managing the, the demand gen team and the SDR team, uh, sales ops. Um, and um, I literally had three different monitors up that I was constantly refreshing to make sure that I was seeing the flow of, uh, of traffic that went all the way down to meetings booked. So then I can, you know, circle back and tell the AE team like, Hey, make sure to not, you know, mark this off. So then my SDRs can get their quota. So, um, which is really weird for marketing ops, right? So I mean, like, 
but ultimately that's kind of like what where it led down to, uh, down to which which is essentially I was wielding uh, product marketing uh, the product marketing you know messaging platform uh, in order to support uh, the um, the SDR team and the demand gen team was uh, supporting the SDR team by funneling these leads in. And I was also then also generating the campaigns in order to make sure that this stuff worked all, all well together. That makes sense. And, and I think there are two parts here that are, uh, that are really interesting about this. One of them that you mentioned is product marketing, right? One of the, I mean, I assume one of the big challenges when you're going from selling to an audience to selling to a new audience and even a different way of buying is that your previous product marketing is probably as close to irrelevant as it can be. And now you need to arm the SDRs with like new product marketing and arm them with the right kind of messaging to book the meetings, make the product seem appealing to, um, to the users. And I think you, um, <clears throat> like being at the center of this is really what facilitated that. And um, I I'm really curious if this is something where kind of looking forward, you would almost like always recommend that like there is a very tight relationship, almost like managerial relationship between SDRs and um, MOPS or RevOps, because you need to be able to then go ping on the product marketing side and say, hey, we need sales enablement for these folks, or we need more demand, or we need these kind of like um, features to be more readily available for um, you know the SDRs to be able to generate interesting conversations. Yeah, for sure. I would say like, first day through the door at a new organization, um, the first thing you should ask is, you know, like, where's product marketing? Because um, what you're going to end up needing to do is, uh, especially nowadays, and this is like, I would say, um, um, the days of just inbound and just outbound are over, right? So your SDR team um, is on the inbound side in one way or the other because they're, they're trying to push more folks onto your website. Um, and let's say you have semi-warm leads that, that are inbound that you're gonna want your SDR team to engage with, right? Um, so all that, like all, everything that's centered around that is your messaging platform. So you're gonna really need uh, to support both um, how things are distributed on, the, on, your, on your digital platforms along with how you do sales enablement with your SDR team. And once again, you know, product marketing is at the center of all that. Um, so I would say, uh, you know, if, if you're not super tight with your product marketing team and your SDR team, then you might be a little bit like in a silo um, and more reactionary, uh, reactive to what's happening as opposed to being able to like predict and make um, uh, support um, like active campaigns or active motions for uh, for those teams. Right. How um, how much time would you say um, a MOPS manager should be spending either interacting with the SDRs or, or going through kind of the yeah, the the day in the life of an SDR every week? You know, that's a good question. Um, I would say that um, my response is going to be projection, mm -hmm. right? So I mean, like, I'll tell you what I end up doing. Um, 
I don't feel right unless I'm really close to my, my sales team. Um, and that's not only the SDR team, but also the AE team. Um, I'm, I'm hyper aware and, uh, like very reactive to feedback. Um, and especially in a fast paced, um, growth environment, um, you need as much feedback as possible, um, in order to, um, in order to support things that are down funnel and support, um, campaigns that are, uh, that are working really, really well. Right. So you kind of, you sit in the marketing team, but you, you definitely toe step and, you know, you're, you're part of the, of the SD of, of the sales team in one way or the other. Um, uh, I've been fortunate enough to work alongside, um, some sales ops folks. Um, and I find myself, I find that sales ops usually lives on the AE side of the world when it comes to, um, you know, how they're dealing with CPQ, uh, predictability and the opportunity pipeline, um, supporting, let's say, uh, you know, onboarding and enablement. Uh, and then you have this, like, uh, this no man land of, of SDR sometimes. Um, but then again, you know, like I've worked in smaller teams, so like, maybe that's just my experience. Um, and I find myself like, you know, adopting the SDR team when it comes to ops and saying like, let me make sure that whatever we're delivering, uh, through by way of demand gen, um, is something that you can actually see and, and work on. So, um, I would say that, um, Obviously, like no more than fifty percent of your time, but um, you know, a good chunk of your time is is definitely in um, in supporting that team because ultimately you're supporting dimension at that point. Right. Yeah. So no more than fifty, but probably no less than twenty percent or, or yeah. something like that. Right. So there there has to be time spent uh, with the SDR teams, and I feel like that is something that larger i see a lot of mops professionals struggle with that or not realize that it's actually like a really big core part of their job to fully understand um how their kind of customer their internal customer is using whatever they're doing i mean of course there's demand gen that's also a customer but the, one of the the ways i i usually talk about this is thinking that mops to me is very similar to product management um there's like some elements of like understanding the technicality of things, but you know, there's, you don't need to implement everything, but really understanding who the customers are and what their needs are to ship the right kind of product um, is, is really, really critical. And I know that you think about it kind of the, the same way of saying, Hey, like you think about the um, kind of uh, MarTech and sales tech infrastructure almost as your product. And it's like a question of like, how do I make this product as good as possible to serve the customers internally first in order to better serve the external customers um, who are the paying customers of the of the product ultimately yeah um i would say that um this actually is one of my like first principles um which uh in, in my view and this is something that you know i just strongly believe in um i try to treat people um as an end in themselves um and i feel like um, revenue or, you know, revenue is an artifact of good rapport and good uh, engagement. Um, so part of their, you know, in the MOPS world, you have two types of customers or prospects, I guess you could say. 
um, you have the um, the prospect that you're engaging with, um, you know, the market itself, um, and creating an experience for them, uh, depending on your like, let's say, um, how how much your MOPS team is engaged with uh, with digital um, and also with demand gen, right? So you have to care about the experience. Um, all the way through uh, through the pipeline and what that experience should look like in order for a successful sell. Um, and secondly, it's the it's the technology in, in itself, the internal stakeholders. They're um, they're also your customer, um, because ultimately people want to be able to make use of the technology and make make have it easy to use for them, digestible, and they make they want to be able to make quick decisions. Ultimately. Like especially in the B2B world, um, regardless of who you're serving, either uh, external customers or, you know, prospects uh, or, and I'm saying this as a MOPS person, um, or internal um, stakeholders who are also customers, everybody wants to be successful at their job. And like, that's why they're doing it, you know, the majority of the time, they want to make sure that whatever they're doing, um, that they get value validation out of what they're doing so ultimately it's my responsibility uh to ensure that they get they get a visceral response uh from whatever it is that they build and they get that that um uh get exactly what they were looking for in a system without it being too much of an administrative hurdle right makes sense um and so Switching gears a little bit, so then if we move on past the the Mattermark uh, days into um, the next big experience, which was Gliffy, um, I, to me that was probably like a big another kind of huge shift in um, like the go to market mo motions that you were confronted with because Gliffy was almost kind of the the opposite of Mattermark to some extent, where it was more like product led acquisition, huge success thousands upon thousands of users of signups, actually like close to millions of users, but a much harder time at figuring out how do we monetize, right? So now it's almost like a very different change of like, we have few users that we monetize really well. How do we grow more users at Mattermark to massive pile of users, like a viral product. Um, so for those who don't know, Gliffy, um, really kind of a collaborative uh, design tool. Um, and, and so, yeah, millions of, of users and having to figure out how do we, um, monetize those and how do we actually build, um, an efficient sales team or sales assisted motion on top of that. So maybe if you want to walk us through a little bit, what, like, were some of the, you know, big changes that this led to for you in terms of like exposure to tech stack, the processes internally, uh, and things like that. Yeah. So, uh, this the biggest difference here is we went from, you know, uh, the traditional, uh, you know, demand gen, um, you know, trial run uh, SDR to AE model to um, all self-driven. And it's either uh, someone decided to purchase Gliffy at like, I think it was like $4.99 uh, for a month. And, um, you know, we had a lot of trial users and essentially you can create like two or three different, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
design diagrams um, and not incur um, any charges whatsoever. So we had like, I think it was over four, uh, 4.5 million users at, at one time. And we were generating over 5,000 users um, on a monthly basis. Like it was ridiculous, right? Um, but we like, we had very little data over those users. Um, the reason behind it is that um, all of um, all the trials started through Atlassian and Atlassian was really not keen on giving us a lot of information. Um, you know, we would get uh, a JSON dump of uh, like their email address and, you know, uh, a few details about the organization. Um, and there wasn't that much by way of um, uh, product instrumentation, um, but that that was basically it. So our, our systems were, you know, kind of lean when it came to um, the depth of data that was associated to a record. Um, and if we ever wanted to look into that even further, we would have to jump into a, a product database uh, in order to uh, uh, generate new new details. So this is almost one of those where if we think of almost like, you know, from from a PLG perspective, at least like graduating from Mattermark, where you could push everything into intercom, it's like small enough volumes where everything is manageable in intercom, you can build a couple rules. And now as a mobs person having to dig into a backend product database, like a data warehouse somewhere that's owned by product and engineering that contains all the product activity and, and having to figure out how to extract First off, extract insights, but then also extract actionable information to then pass on to the um, to the sales team. So, um, I like curious. Like, did you have an analytics team? Did you have to learn to to code, like to figure out like ETL kind of stuff? And and how did you go about doing uh, a lot of that? Yeah, for sure. Uh, did not have an analytics team. Um, I I basically asked for access to um, Meta MetaBase. Uh, which was the like the free um, BI tool that we were using, um, and I learned SQL like on the spot because I was like, okay, how are, how are some like there were some uh, let's say um, uh, there were some visualizations that were like um, that the engineering team had um, had built out, and I wanted to get more detail out of that. Uh, I wanted to create my own kind of like, um, let's say, uh, enterprise cell level data uh, from um, uh, from MetaBase. So I had to learn how to kind of like really do like SQL, uh, mainly around joins and understanding how to like consolidate uh, different uh, different tables in the database, um, how to create temporary tables in order to do ETE, um, ETL. And, um, you know, all of that then allowed me to create like a static, well, not a static, but like basically queries that lived that, um, that I was able to get some support from the, from the engineering team to create a, a cron job that pushed over, uh, to HubSpot at the time. So we, we also moved from Marketo to HubSpot to, uh, to wield, um, uh, to like which was in like, let's say HubSpot is better when it comes to a more creative type of uh, marketing team, as opposed to more architected version type of marketing team. Um, so um, 
I was pushing data in through there. Uh, and then um, we were able to uh, feed that over to Salesforce. And then uh, our, our sales team was able to, uh, to work with that and engage with, uh, uh, with organizations. I'm really curious, and this is maybe like just a quick detour that we're going to take here. Um, would you mind elaborating a tiny bit? I think it's a really interesting point you're making about like HubSpot versus Marketo. Um, what do you mean by that of like HubSpot being maybe like more uh, adequate for like maybe creative teams that are less into like architecture and, and potentially like, like want to have a, a mobs team that's less into like creating more complex workflows. Yeah. I'm just curious to, uh, to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah. Um, something that would take me, uh, let's say two weeks to build out in Marketo, um, by way of uh, landing page, campaign, um, emails, the email drip, um, how it integrates with Salesforce. Um, it would take me a day or two with, with HubSpot. Um, and that's mainly because um, the, uh, my team um, understood the UI and were like, they were very, um, it was easier for them to wield. Um, they were a much more creative team, not so much on the technical side. So um, there was much less, uh, let's say, uh, tribal knowledge and you know product knowledge that was needed. It was more intuitive. So um, that's, I, I do really appreciate um, both ends of the spectrum, along with with Pardots. I've, I've worked with all three. Um, uh, however, let's say if you want to have a lean, creative marketing team um, that. Um, is more, you know, say customer facing and has less bandwidth when it comes to uh, the mops and architecture side of, of this whole thing, uh, then, you know, HubSpot's the way to go. Um, other, otherwise, if you're, let's say, a much more um, uh, hierarchical team that, you know, uh, that needs a little bit more segmentation, a little bit more uh, engineering uh, integration, um, better for like, let's say the DevOps side of the world and, um, for larger, larger marketing teams, then, um, Marketo is the way to go. Is that like a, almost like a complexity also of like the number of workflows and campaigns where it's like, it's easier to support like much more complex, um, workflows or, um, like go to market motions. Like if you have like three different business units, is it easier in Marketo than in HubSpot? But if you have like one kind of like core business unit, core go-to-market motion and like velocity is of the essence, then HubSpot is a better fit. Yeah, I, I would I believe so. Uh, team sizes for um, is definitely part of that as well. Um, and um, not to leave Pardot out of the mix here, but uh, uh, I would say Pardot is um, is great if, um, you know, you have a team that that is lives, breathes and eats Salesforce um, and, you know, is planning on making use of uh, Einstein um, or their DLP, you know, mm -hmm. um, just live in Pardot, like, you know, just move away from the other products because, um, uh, you're making a bet on their, um, their ability to kind of like make it easier for teams to work and get more detail out of, um, out of the marketing campaign. So, um, but yes, to what you said earlier about yeah. Marketo for sure. Uh, makes sense. And I know one of the, I, someone made this comment once and it kind of, stayed with me for a long time. It was almost like Par uh, Pardot and Marketo are very similar, but it's almost depending on where geographically your team is going to be located, where apparently 
the person was saying like the Marketo kind of user base is much more skewed to West Coast and Pardot is much more skewed to skewed to East Coast. So it's almost like if you want a team on site at your company, like almost pick uh, which tool based on where you're more likely to have a larger um, user group. But um, anyway, that was like a, it was a comment a couple of years ago that I, I thought was was pretty interesting that they're they're not that different in essence necessarily, but it's almost like as a um, as a mops manager, also like making sure that you're picking the tool that's going to have, you know, like the widest um, group of potential hirees you can have for uh, to support the tool. Yeah, for sure. Coke, Pepsi, RC Cola. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good analogy. And uh, and and then we'll close kind of that tangent. But I'm curious on on your side, have you seen um, like any tools that people should be aware of that are in that kind of vein of the marketing automation platform. Like I know Braze seems to be like getting a lot of traction. I started hearing about like Courier more on the um, PLG side. And like, are, are there any tools that you're seeing kind of like pick up some, uh, some steam that like, you know, mops folks should be keeping an eye on, not necessarily buying today, but at least like staying in tune with what's going on uh, on the market. Yeah. Um, so I would say that um, uh, MOPS is getting harder and harder. Mm -hmm. You know, um, there's uh, more to learn uh, for each tool. Um, there's more uh, tools that are uh, in the mix. Um, and you have to be, you know, an expert practitioner along with being, uh, you know, uh, strategically savvy. Um, and I don't know if there's any other role outside of like the engineering world um, where that's the same. Um, I would say that what I've seen is uh, consolidative platforms um, is where where I'm seeing a lot of um, a lot of activity like Plana. I'm actually like really impressed with um, a lot of the uh, uh, a lot of the content that they're producing. Um, I haven't actually played with it yet, but um, I have, I'd, I'd be interested in uh, taking a look at how they consolidate things. Um, because if it, inv it involves not only, you know, consolidating, um, you know, the data that's being available, uh, that's available in a particular tech, uh, tech stack, uh, attribution level data, um, your, even your, your contract and, you know, um, and budgeting. I feel like that's all the stuff that um, marketing ops needs to be on top of. And if there's one place to review that um, while making good decisions uh, for the future, I feel like that's that's where it, that's where this is going, you know, as a way to consolidate and be at a higher level. Mm -hmm. Makes a ton of sense. Um, so <clears throat> kind of closing that uh, that quick detour that we took. Uh, so if we go back to um, to Gliffy, I think the so interesting part was like, okay, you have to dig into um, the product data, learn, you know, figure out um, how to to run uh, a little bit of uh, of SQL there. And I mean, this to me seems like, I mean, this is one of the things that we strongly believe in at Matt Kudu that the um, one of the big challenges go to market or RevOps teams are running into is that the source of truth uh, for customer data has completely moved outside of Salesforce, like an MAP or any of those, and now really lives in, 
Snowflake data warehouse or Redshift or, or whatever database in the background, but that it really means that the the backbone uh, of data has shifted away from a tool that the RevOps team could manage into something that is owned by um, by engineering. And I'm curious, like, is this something that you're you're also seeing, and how? Are you, you know, adapting to that change? Like, what are things that you're um, looking more into? Either as like skills to learn, like platforms to, um, you know, to to use more to, you know, be able to, um, you know, live through that uh, that change. Yeah, I think um, the next shift um, is really moving away from, uh, let's say, using some sort of um, UX UI um like a marketo or like uh you know hubspot or salesforce uh in order to get closer uh to the product database right and where where stuff is actually happening and that was that was my biggest challenge in gliffy uh, which was you know i have all this stuff happening over here and i want to do something with it um so i have to move the stuff over here back to my systems in order to do something with it. Um, and um, a company that's like, I think that's revolutionizing this right now is Retool, which is like you build the BI, right? Mm -hmm. And you can do something with it right then and there. So you can build, uh, you know, internal products um, for your team. So then they can do something with that product level data. Um, and make changes and, you know, engage and what, whatever it is that you want to do, to be honest. Um, and uh, I have some uh, former colleagues of mine that, um, or a former colleague of mine that works there um, and is like eating his own dog food and um, builds internal tools using retool uh, for his sales team um, that involve product level data. And um, I feel like uh, in this, he, like he, he learned uh, SQL, um, you know, JavaScript, JSON, maybe some, uh, some Python in order to be able to make use of something like retool. But this, this guy started off in sales ops, you know, so I mean, like, um, I feel like that's the next step. You know, you either go down the route of, uh, of being a, like, um, more of an engineer that serves the marketing team. And I know that there's like, there's roles out there for marketing engineer and whatnot, but I feel like that's, um, like there is a path from ops to engineering in a sense where you, you start to encroach on product level data for sure. Makes sense. Yeah. And interesting. We had, uh, Jacob who, uh, who's from the, um, um, the mops, the rev ops team actually at retool on the show, uh, um, a few months ago, but yeah, there's, I think there's definitely uh, an interesting kind of bifurcation where to, to me, it's almost like moving into like a more biz ops organization where it's like a lot more engineering, almost like data ops. Um, I think we also had um, someone on the show who met, went from um, ops into um, data ops on the data science side to actually support the, uh, um, the ops team. I think the, the part that to me is tricky about this is uh or or where i i wish there was more is also like the track towards more of the um strategic 
like less into the into the details like it's almost like in terms of levels of abstraction i think mops today is pretty much at the center like very similar to a product management role right where you have to understand the technicality but you're not like a full-on engineer um and you have to understand the strategy but you're not necessarily yet um like a ceo or something of that but um then there's almost a decision of like do you want to become product owner um like kind of like tech lead so going down into more of the uh, lower level of abstraction or going higher. And it, it feels like there, there's a lot of tools that are coming out that are built for engineers that Mops is, is starting to use because it unlocks a lot of possibilities, which it almost like creates a pull towards um, this more kind of, yeah, like biz ops style role. Um, but it, it feels like they're, the tool, Retool, I think, can help with this, but like there are fewer tools that are helping, you know, mops become more strategic and like really have a seat at the table with um you know the the vp marketing the vp sales to be able to talk about like what's happening and it, it feels like they are the best people to actually like bring into that conversation i think that's why the vp like why the rev ops and cro and you know the these roles that are in between sales and marketing are starting to get a lot of traction because we need someone to help um, on the alignment between these two teams. And I feel like Mops is uniquely positioned to, um, to be that, but there's very few um, tools that are kind of creating that incentive to you know, um, level up the, um, the level of abstraction. I guess uh, in my mind, I think, you know, um, is that a, is that a uh, tool solution or is that kind of like a, a process solution? You know, and, and like, that's the reason, like, that's one of the reasons where I really like what I'm doing right now, um, you know, uh, working with um, uh, working with uh, early stage startups, because um, one of my biggest things is slow is smooth and smooth is fast. And that's something that I, I brought in from uh, being in the military, uh, working on F-16s back in the day. That was something our you know, commander used to say to us, like, hey, just do it right the first time um, and then we won't have to revisit this. Um, I feel like MOPS comes in to an organization uh, once things are kind of set or once there is a huge need for it. So it's not it's not necessarily a strategic uh, hire. It's more like we need to make sure that, you know, the systems don't crash and burn. We need an expert to come in and that person goes in and the first three to six months is usually uh, clean up and audit and implementation of, you know, proper processes and whatnot. Uh, it doesn't get until like you're in the year mark that you end up starting to be able to reflect and take a look at um, what has been built um, and then do your, you know, statistical analysis, um, you know, rundown uh, to figure out what's, um, you know, what's possible and what's predictable. Um, so I like the idea of starting off before there's like, um, a lot of stuff built in and being like, hmm, let's think about how this will look like down funnel. Let's think about how this, the shelf life of this uh, implementation might be, um, you know, over the span of a year or two. Um, and will it meet the requirements of uh, your go-to market? Um, and I feel like with that onset, I can like, you know, let go. And when a, hop, a MOPS person comes in, they're not coming into a uh, an environment that requires them to be in the weeds totally, they can review and then use that 
strategic skills get, skill set that you're referring to um, to actually you know be supportive um, at the executive level level. Yeah, I mean it's almost like I, I wish we saw more um, like more mops transitioning into like a head of head of marketing role at a a startup. Right, so I think there's a lot of value in having someone who's been like close to the details at maybe like a slightly larger company and coming in as a leader in a smaller company, right? Because sometimes it's similar to the VP sales kind of thing. I think it's it's interesting that there's a very clear passive saying, you know, you take AEs that have crushed their quota that were kind of like team leads potentially mm -hmm. and bringing them on as an early um, head of sales or, or VP sales at a younger um, startup. But we, we kind of lack uh, a lot of, yeah, we, we lack role models, I think, on, on the mob side of people who've gone down that path of saying, well, I actually was like close to demand gen, close to SDRs, close to the fundamentals of how the marketing engine works. And now I'm actually going to start, you know, I'm going to be like leading the organization and bringing in people that are actually going to do these things that I, I used to see from a, a different perspective. And it's, it's something that I, I feel like there, there's, Quite a few um, people out there that unfortunately suffer from the imposter syndrome. We're like, oh, but like, <laughs> I I can't do this like way above my pay grade. But the, the truth is, like a lot of mops people have their ear on the ground and they have a much better understanding as to like what works, what should be done at organizations than some executives that you know come in and kind of like ask high level questions and you know. 12 months after having implemented their playbook, move on to the next uh, organization. Yeah, um, I 100% agree with you. <laughs> That's uh, uh, on, on multiple fronts. Like, I feel like um, my experience gives me some, uh, let's say, informed anecdotal feedback. Um, and also, I, I do have heavy, heavy imposter syndrome because, um, you know, uh, not everything I've done has been successful. Um, and, um, you know, Every single organization has had a different way of going about doing business. I mean, um, you, you've talked about two of them uh, just recently. Um, and, you know, I've been, I've been in a lot of different startups, um, some enterprises, and um, every step of the way, it's like, you know, I, I know the fundamentals about a particular system, but how this all works together, it's just like, it's scary. It can be scary. Um, However, like once again, like uh, early stage startups that have a particular model, um, there is a predictable path that um, um, would make it so ops isn't like so heavy. And like this is this is kind of like my own feedback on on mops in general or just you know business operations in general. Like um, the goal is to make it so that's like it's. It's, a, it's not something that's focused on. Um, the goal in my, in my view is you want your marketing and sales team to be as you know, contemplative and creative as possible to create the best possible engagements. Um, how do you do that? You know, um, are they being bogged down by the administrative tasks? Um, are they getting the feedback that they need from the, uh, from the systems that they wield? Um, and is it intuitive enough to make it so they can just have natural interactions? 
because uh, ultimately back to what I was saying earlier, you know, um, we're all trying to be successful here, either making purchases of software um, or, um, you know, helping folks uh, purchase that software. We all we're all trying to like lift each other up in one way or the other, if not directly, you know, by way of like how how we're trying to generate revenue, um, which is why I say, you know, like um, uh, revenue should be an artifact of um, of treating a person as an end of the, an, an end in themselves. Yeah. Um... I know we're uh, we're pretty much at time, but I uh, wanted to ask w one last question. It's, it's very open ended. Um, it's kind of, you know, we, we talked about a couple of changes that you live through. Um, what do you think is the yeah, the next big change that um, is going to happen in, in the mops world and that folks should be aware of and on the lookout for? Yeah, so I think that. Um... Mad Kudu was at the beginning of this change, right? So I mean, like when uh, when you and Sam first sold to uh, sold to Mattermark, um, and you gave us the you know gave us the um, uh, the presentation deck back in the day, like I was just like uh, I was at shocked and just amazed by what was capable of the feedback loop. Um, that Medkudu would provide by just ingesting data and then being able to say like, here's what quality looks like um, on, you know, on a surface level. And we were able to do all kinds of crazy stuff at, at, at the beginning of that, which meant you know, better segmentation for demand gen based off of what we were doing, um, uh, you know, what we were seeing through Medkudu from close one deals and retention, which was phenomenal. Um, and the idea here is, uh, how marketing ops is going to wield uh, ML and personalization, um, which is why I say like there needs there's there needs to be like a level up in how um, how we oversee these these different things because um, with ML uh, you know um, the uh, the art of or at least the, the work of architecting um, and getting in useful information um, out of your data systems is becoming um, less um, less difficult unless you want to kind of like let's say actively you know interact with that data system. And on the other side, um, with personalization, there is personalization ML out there for every step of the funnel now, right? So personalize with ads, personalize with your website, um, personalize in the funnel, either through rule, rules base or some uh, by some other method. Um, and that level of personalization is also available in the product. So I feel like that's the next step is like, how does a marketing ops person or a business operations person sit back and be able to architect um, uh, a personalized experience from the inception of, or from brand engagement on the top all the way through to re, uh, uh, retention. You know, I, I think that's that's the next step. And I feel like there's going to be something that comes that sits on top of everything or at least a, a new methodology and way to engage with all of that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think it's it's really interesting also to, to think about it really from a, I like how you use the word architecture 
because um, I think it's really um, a big architectural uh, challenge more than um, more than anything else, right? I, the the fear I, I often have with a lot of these kind of nascent tools is that it, it can seem very growth hacky and it's like the kind of stuff that can give you like a very quick win. But I like the, the way you're thinking about it saying, hey, you have to think about like, how do we orchestrate a relevant journey from start to end? Um, and, and how do we make sure we have the right capabilities, the right, you know, products and people who can manage the products and processes in place um, to create that um, that journey? I think, yeah, with like some of the the new ML stuff, like the GPT-3, like all the, the text stuff that exists now, I mean, it's just crazy. You can write, um, there's this like website where you can write a um, a song and you can ask the algorithm to write it in like a Kanye West style or like country style, or whatever, based on the theme. And it's just it, the, the generation of text is like, is getting easier and easier, but it's a question of like, how do you make that, how does that fit into the, um, the overall architecture it makes a lot of sense. Um, thanks a ton for, for joining us and sharing a lot of, um, your stories and yeah, just being very open about, um, what you've, uh, you've gone through, I guess, what's the, um, the best way for people to, to reach out to you if they want to be in touch, if they have questions, um, or if, yeah, if they want to work with you on, on exciting projects they have. Yeah, for sure. So you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, hopefully, uh, there's a lot of Chris Rodriguez yeah. out there. So um uh, i think it'll uh, maybe i'll just uh, add a link to uh, when this is posted um but if you want to reach out to me directly um you can uh go to my website valeopress.com and um that's where i just have a simple form and we can start start from there um, awesome yeah sounds good well again chris thanks a ton for for joining us this was an absolute pleasure uh and yeah um hopefully uh for more of these and i'm excited to see what kind of questions we get and like starting the conversation around uh, all of this but thanks again a ton for sharing all the insights yeah yes sir cool beans man all right take care bye everyone